This is part two of our two-part series on spiritual trauma with Dr. Andrew Graham. That's up next. While you're listening, uh, head on over to GraceStoryMinistries.com and check out all the resources over there. And now, on to the show. Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. My name's Nate Davison, and I am your host here at Grace Story Podcast. Thank you for joining us once again. This is the second part of our two-part episode series on spiritual trauma with Dr. Andrew Graham. A lot more to get into, so let's jump right back into the conversation on spiritual trauma with Dr. Andrew Graham. Well, on this on the same vein, I want to get to this because there, there's a whole lot to get. I have so many questions for you. Lucky you. Um, but on this, uh, you're talking about churches and, and and sidebar on that. I mean, how terrible is that to feel like you need to choose a different church group for your spiritual well-being, your mental health, uh, your your kids, what what have you, and then also probably have it be seen as affirmation of you're the problem because you're going away, not, mm. not us. You're going astray. You know, those, those things that, that, that person had mentioned of, uh, just, it goes to kind of gaslighting of you're the problem here. See, you couldn't, you couldn't even stay and, and be a part of our community, um, because of you. So as someone going through <laughs> what sounds terrible, um, in walking through that walk, <clears throat> what is a good strategy for finding a safe church? Because I feel like you could just rebound and go to another church that's also a toxic environment because you're comfortable with that toxic environment and you jump out of one frying pan into the next like, hey, this oil's different and it's bubbly. I like it over here too. Uh, w- what is a safe way, a safe strategy um, of finding a church that's safe but is also biblically uh, sound and, and of the same, those those tier one uh, um, uh, theolo- theological things we have to agree on. And uh, I'll, I'll take it a bit further. What if my denomination is small and I want to stay within that denomination and my choices are limited? How do I walk that walk? So I mentioned earlier, like a very an important underlying principle to all of this is the, is the ex- exclusivity of truth. You know, the idea that I do, I do believe in the exclusivity of truth, uh, but the idea <laughs> that my the idea that my particular my particular interpretation, you know, I can affirm I can affirm you know, this is a, a, a big debate within those who identify themselves as Christian counselors. Right. I can identify the supremacy of Scripture. Yes, I can identify. I can I can acknowledge I can acknowledge the, uh, you know, the concept of inerrancy. Mm-hmm. Um, but while at the same time acknowledging that my interpretation of Scripture itself is not sure. inerrant, right? I am not. The, scripture may be infallible. Uh, Nate, I'm sorry to inform you, your interpretation what? of Scripture should be yeah. <laughs> perhaps not infallible. <laughs> and so that should cause you and I to be very humble in how we exegete the Word and how we extrapolate our own extrapolate our own I don't want to say ideas because that makes it sound way more subjective than I'm trying to say but that we ex- that, that we extrapolate our own faith commitments as though this is the universal standard by which God is judging everyone else communities of faith 
that hold that position, it becomes so easy to other anyone who's outside that, that suddenly you have scenarios where um, you know, I think about within, within our own shared faith tradition and having been in context where I've heard preaching and teaching about the dangers of going to the sin and religion Baptists or going to the enslaved to formality Anglicans or the Calvinistic Presbyterians and those sorts of things. And I want you to know, I wholeheartedly understand the importance of doctrinal distinctives. And I have trained, taught and trained my children and will continue to do so. The differences between Faith, you know, communities of faith that would still fall under, you know, confessional, you know, evangelical churches, that there have been other settings where those distinctives become not our view of the sovereignty of God, our view of how scripture relates to everyday living. And it suddenly becomes, you know, that old joke about the color of the mm -hmm. carpet, right? And it becomes, well, how long is long? And it becomes how much is too much, and it and it becomes these sort of arbitrary uh, measures that are then used to exclude. And so, I would encourage someone who's looking for a church to find out how that community of faith treats those who are outside the community of faith. That's an important component because no doubt there will end up one day being an issue where you are the outlier. There have been churches where I have been the tallest, most churches, I am the tallest person in the church. I don't want to attend a church that says our church is for people who are six foot and under. You know, how do they, and that's an awkward analogy. Maybe I shouldn't have even used it. It works. But I'm also, I also generally am the father of the most children in the church, right? And so there are going to be issues. And that obviously, this is, these are not primary issues, mm -hmm. right? My height or how many children that I have. But if we see how people are treated based on how they are outside, perhaps the bell curve you know, the normal distribution of the bell curve, you know, that, that I think is an indication of the health of the church. How does the church feel empowered to equip people in distress or does the church feel as though they need to isolate and distance them, some distance themselves from people who are in distress? I think those are important hallmarks as well. With this, it sounds like a lot of of, of culture, because uh, you know throughout this podcast episode, you've mentioned some things about it can be individual, or it can be, and heaven forbid, I use the word systemic, but a systemic issue within a church the, of the behaviors and a greater culture that happens. And I, I want to ask you this question, and and uh, have you you address it because there are behaviors that can happen within an organization of of whatever size five five people to you know a hundred people. Do the effects of this spiritual trauma ever show up as apathy or uh, antipathy? And, and maybe define that for the listener too. Yeah. So 
yeah, good, good. So apathy is don't care, right? Apathy is um, whatever my response to whatever I'm feeling is to just shut it down, right? Just a, I don't care. I don't have a concern. Um, it does or it doesn't relate to me. Um, antipathy is like the default position of like, I don't like that. And I don't like anybody who talks about that. So that can be true in, in what, what I understand you to be asking, both in those who are in the system and victims of the system and those who continue to benefit from further propagation of the system where it becomes, well, I'm not negatively impacted. I, this didn't seem abusive to me based on my personality, based on other, other protective factors, you know, attachment, my primary attachment being at home and not within my community of faith, whatever. And so I don't care. I don't care about you. This isn't, this isn't the journey I'm on. So I don't know why I would talk about this. You know, sounds like you have a problem, mm. right? Or, or there are times where the system itself can be, can, can lead towards the antipathy, which becomes the hostility towards people who want to talk about these things, right? I'm, I'm imagining, I'm imagining my inbox when we're finished talking, <laughs> like, why did you talk about this that way? Why did you say this? I can't believe that. Like, wait, I felt like I gave enough caveats. I wasn't saying this is everyone's journey. I wasn't calling, I wasn't calling individuals within a system malicious. Mm. Like I, I wasn't doing those things. And yet there will be people whose response, perhaps out of their own trauma, mm. will be to have this, uh, this, you know, construct of antipathy, which is, uh, you know, sort of aggression towards me for, for even acknowledging that this can be a product of a religious system. Well, once again, I, I love talking about the hard things. Um, and <laughs> you know, even in that little juxtaposition of those two ideas or those two ways of, of, of viewing spiritual trauma, the effects of it, um, you're talking about trying to understand those that are are reacting that way as it may be out of their own trauma too. Um, mm-hmm. man, it, this gets really messy uh, really quick, and I can understand why people might not want to talk about it. Yeah, so it's that whole you know peeling back of the onion, right? And uh, you know, recently I had uh, I had a, a client I was working with say they were involved in a discussion. Uh, about counseling, they'd not acknowledge that they themselves were a client, but we're talking about counseling. And and somebody said, well, I think counseling is about blaming the parents for everything you got going on that's wrong. And uh, so I asked, my client was telling that story. I said, how did you respond? I said, well, I didn't respond. <laughs> I said, you know, what was your internal dialogue? What were you saying to yourself in that moment? And he said, you know, actually, I feel like counseling has helped me to realize that I feel sorry for uh, for my parents, for some of the things that they were victims of and how they were perhaps operating out of their own sense of hurt and their own, uh, you know, th- their own expectations for themselves based on what was said to them uh, when they were vulnerable and in need of guidance. And so, 
uh, yeah, goodness, no, counseling is not about blaming your parents. Um, I mean, unless it is, but it's not always about blaming your parents. Well, as you say this and, and putting it in the church context, um, you know, there's going to be people that, that act this way with ap- apathy or just like rage that we would even mention that there may possibly could be someone who has a different experience um, within within a group or a church group, denomination, what have you. Um, how can we as a church hope to bring healing to those who've been wounded, uh, little t, with trauma in the past when the, the organization, the denomination, or the individuals within that group are to blame? How can we as, as a church group or a church uh, uh, body that has been the inflictor of wounds be the resource to heal wounds? Yeah. Wow. In 30 seconds or less. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. A question I was not prepared for, but is absolutely fantastic, right? We have to listen, Mm. you know, and Nate, if this was not your experience, don't talk me out of it being mine. Um, Because I feel as though there are contexts in which uh, late, and I'm all about equipping lay people to provide soul care for fellow congregants. I am all about that. It's a passion of mine. <clears throat> but do, you know, in our listening to others share their stories, it can't just be to pivot towards, well, okay, thanks for sharing. It's time to move on. Thanks for sharing. Here's where you're wrong. Thanks for sharing. <clears throat> Let's give the benefit of the doubt you know, those sorts of things, you know, it, it has to be about listening. It has to be about empathy, right? Feeling with someone, not just hearing what they have to say, um, encouraging them, right? Encouraging them on their journey, encouraging them perhaps to talk to somebody who is better equipped to disentangle some of these things. Insert advertisement here. Um, <laughs> It'll be in the show notes. Don't worry. Know. Don't worry. <laughs> Contact <laughs> Andrew Graham here. You know that those sorts of things, right? It has to be listening. You know, and like, listening is a big part about about counseling. It's a big part of providing. You know, lay people providing soul care for one another. At some point, the other person stops talking, and you need to say something of value to them. And it can't be, "Thanks for sharing." Now let's move on. Right. There has to be this acknowledgement that this is perhaps more than a surface wound. This is something that needs to be disentangled from other areas of life as well. This is part of their this is part of their automatic response, their internal dialogue that you know it's as real to them as when I say peanut butter, you say jelly. When I say this is biblical, they say, and if I don't agree with it, then I'm in danger of eternal hellfire and you, 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 eternally. But even in the present, you're going to completely withdraw, you know, any sort of emotional, financial, family support from me if I were to, you know, have a difference of even on a tertiary issue with you on this particular, not even doctrine, but you know, almost practical application of doctrine. So there are people for which this has been a has become a part of their automatic responses to the conversations that they have. They're never not 
navigating? How is this person judging me? How much, how, what if I disagree with what they're saying? Do I have the opportunity to have a voice to express concern? Am I allowed to ask a question? Am I allowed to express dissent? Am I allowed to bring in other resources and say, you know, or does even asking a question mean that I'm no longer able to be a part of this community of faith? Well, let's, let's dig a little bit deeper right there. Uh, you know, since it is the question you weren't prepared for. <laughs> uh, so let's say someone is, is asking that question that you've kind of alluded to of, uh, you know, why don't they move on? Uh, why don't they get over this? But let's, let's assume that they're asking it genuinely, uh, that they do want to listen. They do want to understand maybe why someone is not moving on besides researching Facebook and finding someone who is having issues and inboxing them and saying, I want to hear your story and understand you. What are some ways or some resources that I can prepare myself for the moment when someone enters my life that has had some type of abuse, maybe not even spiritual, but something that they can't get over so that I can be a resource and be the hands and feet in the body of Christ to that person how can I better understand people who have been through these things and understand why they can't just get over them? Yeah, I think that's part of, that's what differentiates humans from other created beings is our ability to, uh, on some level, insert ourselves into someone else's story and hopefully come out of that experience by having empathy for them, not a desire to exploit that mm for our own, for our own purposes. So for instance, uh, you know, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a counselor. I, I walk, I spend my days walking with people through the most difficult points of their lives. When I'm not doing that, I'm teaching other people to be able to walk with other people through the most difficult points of their lives, or I'm being a husband and father to a large and complicated family. So, you know, this is what I'm doing all day long. And so, uh, many of these people are on journeys that are far different than mine, you know, and I can, I understand, I've never been, I've never met the diagnostic criteria for clinical depression, but I know what it's like to be sad. I have never met the clinical definition for a panic disorder, but I know what it's like to be worried. I wrote my vows out on my hand because I didn't want to mess them up at my wedding because I was anxious. I was worried. That's not a panic attack. I don't mean to imply the same thing. But to be that way all the time seems overwhelming to me. I can't imagine what it's like to navigate an anxiety disorder, though I help people to navigate it constantly. Okay? So similarly, there are other people navigating much different journeys than I do. And my default position should not be, how is this impacting me? It should be, how can I enter in to the journey that they're on? Um, I'm infamously not a fan of fiction. Infamously, because nobody likes it, <laughs> except for me. I don't read fiction. I don't pay attention. I don't listen to fiction. You know, it's, it's, yeah. Anyway, that's another whole podcast, perhaps. But I... I absolutely adore, I absolutely benefit from even anecdotal testimonials. I loved being assigned to read They Found the Secret in, in Bible college. I love reading the, the um, 
what's the word I'm looking at? The the memoirs of people from the past and people from the future, from the future, <laughs> people who are that's the fiction. from contemporary <laughs> people from contemporary life that are navigating very different journey, journeys than I am and learning from them. And how can I enter in? Because there are probably people close to me who are navigating that same thing very similarly, right? I, my, I should not be viewing everything through the lens of who I am and what my particular story is. And if we can make that shift, then we can recognize that there are people who are navigating life different than I am that are still image bearers and they are still Christ followers and they are still brothers and sisters in the faith. The point has to be that we acknowledge that other people are navigating things of various levels of complexity to what we're navigating and we need to provide space for them. We need not de-Christianize those who are asking questions or are coming to different conclusions. Now, there are definitions of what it means to be a Christ follower. So I'm not trying to say that there are no boundaries, that there are no lines. That's not what I'm saying. But the idea that on some issues, somebody may come to a different conclusion that should not, be, it becomes spiritual abuse when we say you are no longer to be, a, no longer welcome to be part of our household of faith. Well, it, it, what I'm hearing you say through this is certainly there's time for self-reflection. Uh, it's actually, you know, indicative of, of a greater uh, emotional understanding, a greater emotional IQ and practicing inward uh, looking. But your life as a whole should not be me, me, me looking in. How does that person's journey, as you said, affect me? Is that threatening mm -hmm. to me? Certainly with the absolute truths, the, the tier one doctrines we cannot separate on. But some of these things down here, I need to be having an outward focus on others and practicing and, and, and exercising those muscles of empathy um, where I can mm -hmm. see from a different perspective. And I'm only going to understand that it's a different perspective if I listen. I, there, I'm, there's a whole lot there for another podcast. You're right, another episode. But you touched on something that I also want to address is you walk through these difficult journeys with people and you hear their stories uh, and and you, you you do the hard thing of trying to guide as they're doing their work. Um, you're not just putting in an autopilot for them, of course, but this has got to affect you as, as a human being. Uh, so asking the question for you and, and we may be able to glean from you as a professional, some ways to how do you keep yourself spiritually and mentally healthy as you listen to and help treat others on their journey of restoration and specifically focusing since that's the topic of this episode uh, their journey of restoration from spiritual trauma. Yeah. Wow. So great, great question, Nate. And I will acknowledge that um, God has wired me and equipped me and led me through uh, early childhood, through adult experiences that have created me to be who I am. And I recognize that I can't easily extrapolate that onto other people. Um, it's just who God has created me to be. I absolutely love entering in to the difficult parts of people's lives and helping them to see 
um, to see them, to help them to see themselves as image bearers and to help them to identify how they got here and to, how to identify, you know, a reasonable path out that aligns with their values and, and beliefs and, and priorities. I, I, I'm a high maintenance friend. Um, my, <laughs> that's what my friends will say when they hear me say that, you know, they will acknowledge that I'm a high maintenance friend. Um, you know, I, I am somebody who feels like I need to bounce things off of others, maintaining obviously client confidentiality and, and those sorts of dynamics. But yes, there are situations I walk to work. Uh, I walk home from work. And so there's sort of this 20 minute decompression time as I'm, as I'm navigating do <laughs> dodging traffic, uh, in the metropolis of Hope Sound. So yeah, self-care is certainly important. And I certainly know many people who do what I do, who have become emotionally overwhelmed themselves based on the stories that they've heard. And, um, I think, you know, humility, not usually a word used to describe me, and I acknowledge that. But taking a posture of recognizing that, uh, you know, I could be just, it is just as possible that I have former students, that I have children who will say, this is how I felt when my teacher, when my father, when my mentor, when my friend did this, mm -hmm. right? There are, I probably have hurt people unintentionally, not with malicious intent. And so, so for me, working with victims of abuse, historically, not even just, you know, in, not even in the spiritual abuse we're talking about today, and being able to recognize them as image bearers and recognizing, and this is the hard part, but God has helped me to do this, recognizing their abusers as image bearers as well, recognizing that I have probably unintentionally hurt people on this journey as well fosters a sense of humility that I think has been helpful. But again, to any friend who's taking the time to listen to this, I ver they very much know that I rely on them as the opportunity to sort of decompress. And as you know, any, you know, when, when, were you paying me for this time, Nate, we would have been done on time, <laughs> but you're not, we've developed a friendship and we will probably be here the rest of the afternoon. Um, and that is life giving to me. So Thank you for being part of my self-care this week. Well, what, what I hear you saying is you have, you give yourself time for exercise and decompression and self-reflection. You have a strong support group um, that, that sees you for who you are. And you also lean heavily into that support group. Um, you also uh, don't think more of yourself than you should and understand that you, uh, you, you understand your humanity but also I hear like we did talked about in, in the episode with, uh, with Byron Keller, you recognize that your own journey and its relevance has led you to where you can care for others, uh, in a way that has empathy, uh, for, for, for who they are, regardless of what side of the story they're on that you're, you're listening to. Um, that there's a lot there and, and it sounds like you do it day in and day out. Um, I don't know if it's nine to five, seven to three, what, what, <laughs> What account do counselors have hours or is it just you're on, you're on Skype in your, your bedroom? What is, what is that? Like? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm very, I am very specific about my time because I have too many, too many irons in the fire to, to be flexible. 
Um, and that certainly is the negative complication of, of doing all the, all the things that, that I do. But yeah, you did a good job of making that sound more, more organized and structured um, as far as self-care. But yeah, absolutely a sense of, you know, a sense of support is, is a big part of being able to be a professional. You know, I heard, I heard, I, I was reminded uh, Facebook memories ah, just this week yes. brought up brought up a memory from a camp meeting. Um, and I'm going to get the story mostly right. I promise. I didn't even watch the video again. So this is from several years ago's memory, but a missionary nurse was talking about providing whatever her daily care routine was as a nurse on the mission field. A, uh, a lady runs into the clinic and says, uh, I was using an outhouse and I heard the cry of a baby. And the nurse goes running out uh, to this outhouse and looks down in the hole. I don't think I need to operationally define outhouses here, but looks down and sees a newborn baby, um, you know, at the bottom of this outhouse. And I don't remember if it was the missionary nurse herself or if it was somebody else, but they ended up holding someone by the ankles and lowering them into that filth to reach out, to reach and grab that baby and rescue it from that pile of filth. And then the missionary nurse, missionary nurse talking about wiping the, wiping the, the waste off the baby, sticking her finger into the baby's mouth and taking it out of the baby's mouth, giving it a bath, you know, and years later seeing that little girl thrive. And I know this is audio only, so you can't people can't see the tears running down my face. But Nate, this is what God has called me to do and equipped me to do and given me the opportunity to grow up in a family that nurtured that and educational environments that provided me guidance and supervisory oversight as a young clinician and all of those experiences to, to be able to say, that's what I want to do. I, I don't want to be a missionary nurse. I, I don't want to actually, you know, but, I, but you know, the idea of helping people who feel hopeless to identify how we got here and what the path out of this looks like is absolutely the most rewarding thing I've, you know, I've, you know, God has given me the honor and privilege of being a part of. Well, it sounds like you can also add on to, to your self-care routine, the, the recognition of, of the call. Uh, you have a definite call. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which brings you, you to, to, to passion. Um, and I, I do, I do have a question here cause you, you kind of bring it up, um, of surprises, uh, and things that you don't expect. I'm sure that nurse wasn't expecting a baby at the bottom of an outhouse. Um, <laughs> within, within your career as a clinical mental health professional, mm. um, what's something you, you didn't expect that has happened to you uh, during that time? Yeah. Yeah. So, so years ago I was a clinical coordinator of an outpatient mental health counseling center. I was working with children and their families who were the victims of abuse I was assessing the children who were coming out of the psychiatric hospital because they had made attempts to take their own life and partnering them with referring them to who I thought would be the best fit in our community. Those were my primary responsibilities. And I remember 
uh, a person who would probably be a mutual friend of ours reaching out to me and saying, hey, I just happen to be traveling through your city. I just happen to have free time over lunch because of the cancellation of another appointment. Would you be willing to meet me uh, for lunch? And I said, yeah, there's a great hot dog stand. Why don't you meet me there? And we did. And that man said to me, asked me you know, my education and experience and what I was doing with my life and said, how are you? how are you serving the church? Hmm. And I said, oh, I, I tithe. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, no, yeah, misunderstanding the question. How, how, how are you serving the church? And I said, oh, yeah, I sing in the choir. And he said, oh, Andrew, he said, I was in ministry in this place, and I was in leadership here, and I was involved in this situation, and oh, how I would have loved to have been able to reach out to a mental health counselor who understood my faith commitments and understood the background and some of those nuanced differences. You need to make yourself available. And so I was really impacted by that. And I prayerfully talked with my wife and family and those friends who know that I'm high maintenance. And and in the end, decided that that's what God was calling me to do. And so left clinical, you know, clinical mental health practice in that sort of context and joined the faculty of a Bible college and, and began to interact with denominational leaders and say, if you'd like to reach out with, to me, I'd like to be a resource. And here's what I thought, Nate, Nate, here's the surprise. The thing that I didn't expect. I thought it would be boring. Mm. I thought that people would be talking about my marriage is an eight and a half out of 10, and I'd really like it to be a nine. Mm. I thought that it would be my parents were perfect, and I want to be just as perfect as they were in my parenting. I thought it would be easy, and I found out that it was harder because when I worked in a community mental health context and a large percentage of the people I was helping were not people of faith, they did not believe in the intrinsic value of every person. They did not believe that there's no power, there's nothing beyond God's power to redeem and restore for his glory and for our edification. They didn't believe those things. It made sense that they would exploit children. Mm. It made sense that they would hurt one another. It made sense that me, me, me is the center of everything. And so the answer to what did I not expect is I did not expect that I would work in communities of faith and I would find people telling the same kinds of stories. Only instead of it just being physical abuse, and I don't, I say that pejoratively on purpose, in, in air quotes, it just being physical abuse or it just being sexual abuse or it just being emotional abuse. Now it was physical abuse with a Bible verse and it was sexual abuse with a prayer at the end. Mm. And it was emotional abuse with the threat of, if you ever tell, we'll kick you out of our spiritual community. So that has been the difficult thing that I did not expect is to realize that 
hurt people hurt people, Christian hurt people hurt other believers. And to have and to come alongside people of faith in the same way as coming along people who are not people of faith. So if, if I'm someone listening to to your voice right now and, and, and something you're saying is resonating and you you sound like someone I want to talk to because of, you know, maybe even what you've just said, um, you know, you, you want to be available to the body of Christ. Uh, where where can I find you and, and and is it possible to reach Dr. Andrew Graham to talk to you? Well, the best way is probably to pull your car to the side of Bridge Road as you see me walking to my office and asking <laughs> if you can give me a ride. Uh, but absent that, no, that's actually not a good way to yeah, get That's your decompression time. No, we cannot do that. No. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, many, many, many friends and family and, and church folks have pulled up alongside and said, uh, would you like a ride? No. <laughs> I, <laughs> it's me time. Okay, sorry. Sorry. I'll never ask again. Yeah, unless it's raining. Maybe it's, yeah. So so my website is drandrewgram.com. And, you know, people can reach out to me through there. Uh, I do counsel. I, I schedule 14 uh, 14 sessions a week, 12 to 14 sessions a week. That's um, not my primary my primary call. I do I do uh, teaching and equipping, um, you know, people who are on the journey to become professional counselors is a is my primary vocational call at this point. But I do I am available for for counseling and consulting and speaking at churches and speaking at ministerials and and speaking at conferences and those sorts of things, I'm very interested in equipping the body of Christ. You know, we've had this this paradigm shift where we have people who've come out of backgrounds that have said counseling is humanistic, counseling is new age, counseling is antithetical to the gospel, we shouldn't use it to, on some level, the continuum swing being to the other side and saying, oh, you need you know, it must be a licensed mental health professional to help you navigate this. I'm not ripping licensed mental health professionals because I am one, <laughs> you'll remember. But I'm also interested in equipping families and equipping churches to like, how do we provide competent soul care to each other? That's that's definitely a big passion as well. But yeah, so drandrewgram.com is uh, the best way to, to reach me by email. I mean, you can find, I have a page on Facebook and people can can find me there as well. So we'll make sure that that, uh, that web address is, uh, that link is in the show notes. You can just slide down there, click on that, go over to, uh, to that website and, and click on contact, I'm sure. Um, and then we've, we're coming to the end of episode, the second part of, of this talk. <laughs> uh, we set offline uh, how this is kind of, we, it was one episode, it has turned into two. But we're kind of the, coming to the end of episode two, uh, because if the listeners like me, a little touch of ADD, uh, 45 minutes, I'm out. Um, as we come to the end of this second episode, this the second part on this topic, and, and, and knowing that we didn't cover everything that we possibly could, understanding that this could be multiple semesters uh, at the college level to discuss the causes, ramifications, and subtleties, and, and, and minutia, and, and the greater picture and systems theory and, and all these things that go into uh, uh, what we've talked about. If you as as 
just maybe Andrew uh, taking off your professional cap to talk to the listener and, and tell them just one thing you really want them to remember or heart to heart something you, you want them to walk away with uh, from Andrew what would that be? You know, there's been a lot of talk about, um, you know, sort of 90s Christian culture and um, some of that really positive and some of that um, maybe not so much. But I think probably the quote that means the most to me is the uh, that great vegetable theologian acknowledging that uh, God made you special and he loves you very much. And I want to acknowledge the importance of being part of organized communities of faith that gather together for worship and for edification, but navigating journeys with people who were looking in the mirror getting ready for church knowing that they would be wounded another time it's just so complicated feeling as though they had to be a part of their own continued trauma god made you special and he loves you very much. I love the simplicity of what you just said. And and I know there are those that are listening in, um, including me, that that means a lot to, uh, to try to understand. I talked in, in a previous episode with Amber about riding around in the car, realizing God actually likes me. He delights in me. No. Uh, and he wants to hang out with me. Uh, so that that's that I'm sure that's resonating with more than you know. Before I let you go, though, and, and I'm very appreciative of your time. Um, uh, I tend to run over when when you and I are talking. But if, if someone's listening to and they're like, I want more. I want more than just these episodes. Are there resources that you, uh, as putting back on your licensed counselor hat, are there resources that you would recommend uh, for people to, uh, besides going back and listening to these episodes over again, dig in, do some reading or, or watching, whatever that may be? Are there resources for people on this topic or, or similar topics that, that tie in? Yeah, thanks for the opportunity to share, Nate. And this is something I'm burdened about. And I want to I want to help the people who are able have the resources to come to my office here or to meet on Zoom, but I recognize that not not everybody is there. And so, as I mentioned, I have no fiction books to recommend, <laughs> but I do have some really helpful resources that for people who have grown up in environments, maybe you grew up, uh, maybe you're a, a young a young father or a young mother, and and you know that you want to do things differently than your parents. You you see, um, you know their 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 actions towards you were not malicious. It was what they thought was the right thing to do. But you recognize now the negative impact that that has, even today, maybe years or decades later. Um, there are three parenting books that I highly recommend for people who are sort of wanting to facilitate uh, positive relationships 
uh, with with their children in ways that are not uh, that are free from uh, that sort of spiritual coercion component. Uh, one of those, probably the most popular of these three, is uh, Grace-Based Parenting by Dr. Tim Kimmel. Uh, another book, one of my wife and I's favorite books, is Heartfelt Discipline. Uh, subtitle is Following God's Path of Life to the Heart of Your Child, written by Clay, Clay Clarkson. Um, another book written by an author who is a who is a scholar, a specialist in the area of spiritual abuse, has written a book, uh, Jeff Van Vonderen has written a book called Families Where Grace is in Place. And if spiritual trauma is part of your family's history, those books might be might help you as you navigate parenting. Um, for couples, uh, really like uh, the book Intimate Allies by Dan Allender and Tremper Longman. It's a psychologist and a, and a theology scholar, biblical scholar. Uh, a book called Sacred Marriage by uh, Dr. Gary Thomas. Um, absolutely fantastic in helping people to navigate through, uh, not through necessarily specifically spiritual abuse or spiritual trauma, but fostering the a healthy relationship between two Christ followers as they wish to seek the flourishing of one another. If, if uh, a pastor or a leader is interested in resources related to spiritual abuse, um, I think probably the seminal work on that is David Johnson and Jeff Van Vonderen, The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse, uh, sort of a classic in this area. But there are others as well. My hero, Dr. Diane Langberg, has a recent book, Redeeming Power, Understanding Authority and Abuse in the Church. And there are other there are other good resources as well uh, for anybody who is sort of navigating any sort of emotional distress based on things that have happened in the past or are happening right now. Um, highly recommend a simple little book by David Siemens called "Healing for Damaged Emotions." Uh, probably the book that I recommend to my clients more than any other book outside the Bible would be Tim Clinton and Gary Sibsey's why you do the things you do, which is an attachment, a primer on attachment theory through an evangelical lens. And I know regular listeners have heard much about uh, attachment theory from the podcast before. So I'm a, as I mentioned, I'm a I'm an avid reader of things of value, <laughs> not fiction. Uh, so if anybody wants to inquire about a resource, uh, you know, just want to email me and say. You know, I need some guidance on this particular issue. Absolutely, feel free to reach out, and I'll take the time to give whatever reflections on books that uh, I think may be helpful for your particular situation. So, all sorts of resources there. All sorts you can go back and listen to these episodes again, and check the show notes because you'll be able to reach out to Dr. Graham um, and get even more resources that way. Uh, so, thank you, Dr. Graham, for coming on the episodes, and thank you for sharing your time, your expertise, and uh, thank you for your heart for people. Uh, thank you for doing what you do. Uh, we at Grace Story understand and appreciate um, what you're doing for the body of Christ. Well, I appreciate Grace Story, Nate. I'm a I'm an avid listener. I uh, listen to every podcast so far. I've recommended it several times to to people that I felt like it was a good fit for them to hear the story of others. 
And so thank you to, to you and Amber and the team and all that you're doing to, to reach out to people and uh, help them to, to find a way out of their own pain from the past. We truly appreciate Dr. Graham coming on this episode. If you have more uh, that you'd like to hear from him, uh, we, we'd love to have him back on the show. You can send me an email, nate at greatstoryministries.com. You can actually uh, also check out his resources in the show notes. Send him a message as well uh, if you appreciated what you heard or if you have another question for him. Uh, he's a great guy, very approachable, very knowledgeable, an expert in his field, um, and he has a heart for people. Uh, he just wants to help others. So uh, you can reach out to him. And again, if you want to hear more or you have a certain topic you'd like to hear something on, send me an email, nate at greatstoryministries.com, and we'll do our best to get that on the show for you. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode, uh, back in your podcast feed, this time with Ryan Waters, our content strategy director. He's going to be talking about uh, the, the sensitive topic of sexual abuse and facing our perpetrators and, and what does that look like and all sorts of things surrounding that. Uh, you won't want to miss out on that. Until then, please continue on your journey of restoration and we'll be praying for you.